sake. Amen. Good morning. Last Sunday was Father's Day, and that meant I got a little bit of time with my kids. Doesn't happen all that often, so they humored me and spent the evening with me at Holland State Park, and we walked the pier and enjoyed the uh, sitting in the sand and watching the sunset. It was a gorgeous sunset last Sunday night. Um, but our enjoyment of that experience was was really stolen away as we overlooked the water by the flashing lights of the sheriff and the Coast Guard boats who were searching for that young boy whose boat capsized. Um, and as we sat on the, on the beach there, right on the shore, with all that unfolding in front of us, you know, it, it, as the moments and the minutes ticked by, I felt a sense of urgency along with those rescue workers. And and my heart began to hurt for a mother and a father who I didn't know, but whose lives were most likely forever going to be changed by what was going on out there. And, uh, and so we, we headed home that evening after the sun went down and, and immediately went online to see if there's any article about that. And, and sure enough, Wood already had an article online there. And, and it was interesting because their perspective on that whole event that I watched unfold in front of me was so different from what I experienced sitting there on the beach, right? So, so reading that article, and, and they gave all the facts to that event, right? They, they gave the precise time and the precise location, and they, they gave the make and model of the boat that overturned, and, and they listed off all the organizations that were involved in the search, and they, they said what the weather and the water conditions were all about that, that event. And, and I thought, what, what, what an amazing thing to experience, the same event from two totally different perspectives, right? One that brought out a really pretty intense feeling and emotion, and one perspective that focused on the facts. Well, in a few moments, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together, right? A sacrament institu instituted by and about Jesus. And it is very important this morning, before we do that, that we know the facts, right? The facts of who he is and why we come to this table and what we're celebrating here. And if you want to know about the facts of Jesus, you, you open this book, right? And, and you open to the gospel accounts because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Show us the facts of Jesus walking and talking and preaching and teaching and living and dying and rising again. In fact, take out your Bibles. Would you start in the New Testament with me? I, I know we're in the, a series of, uh, in the book of Psalms, but we're going to start in Matthew. Matthew 27, page 965 in the Bibles in front of you. Matthew 27. We're going to start here because this is the chapter where you can read all about the facts of Jesus death. Start at verse 27 of Matthew 27 with me. You can hear the facts. We're going to go through verse 50. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. 
After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing here, there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So if you want the facts, there you go. There's all the facts you need to know about the day that Jesus died. Here's the Jerusalem press version of the story, right? You can read all about the where, the when, the who. All in nice chronological order, right? First the soldiers beat him and mocked him. And then they took him from the praetorium to Golgotha where they nailed spikes in his hands and his feet and hung him on a cross. And after they did that, then the soldiers divided his clothes. And as they're gathered around, then all the people, including the robbers, including the teachers and the chief priests, mocked him, insulted him. And then Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then they offered him something to drink. And then Jesus cried out, and then he died at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's your evening news version of the story. But there's another account of Jesus' death that's not found in the Gospels. It doesn't give you the evening news account. It gives you a whole new perspective. And this one's from the Psalms. Turn to the Old Testament. Psalm 22 with me. Page 537. 537. Because here in Psalm 22, King David portrays in great detail the same event that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe so vividly. And as we, we're going to read the whole chapter, we're going to split it into two sections, so you want to keep your Bibles open for the morning. But as we read the first 21 verses of Psalm 22, listen for the facts, the same facts that Matthew gave us. 
Psalm 22, first 21 verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you have brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot share. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. Be my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now pause there for just a moment. Did, having just read Matthew, did you catch the parallels? Did they jump out at you? Right, the very first words in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the exact last words that Jesus quotes from the cross. Verses 6 and 7 talk about, the psalmist says, how he's scorned and despised. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults and they shake their heads. That's exactly what Matthew shows us. He says, those who passed by hurled insults, shaking their heads. Verse 8, he's mocked and, and the people say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Matthew tells us that the people around Jesus said he trusts in God. Let God rescue him. How about the psalmist saying, evil men encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Can't you just see the soldiers encircling the cross, having pierced Jesus' hands and feet? Even, even down to verse 15 where the psalmist writes, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Isn't it interesting that Matthew tells us two times that they brought something for Jesus to drink because he was thirsty. And verse 18, they divide my garments, casting lots for my clothing. That's exactly what the soldiers did. 
this psalm, when you read it in, in its context, is clearly about Jesus. It has all those facts, right? Almost a thousand years before the actual event, King David gives us a vivid account of Jesus' death. <laughs> Way too much to be coincidence. I mean, think about that, a thousand years. That'd be like you predicting your great, 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 add another 15 greats, grandchild's death. And knowing exactly how it's going to happen and predicting exactly what the people around him are going to do. Impossible. You can't do that. And yet, it's amazing how clearly we see Jesus in Psalm 22. But, this psalm was not written simply to amaze us with facts foretold ahead of time. Psalm 22 lets us view the death of our Savior from a whole new angle. Right? Instead, of, instead of catching it on the evening news from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Psalm 22 brings us up onto the cross to see what's happening from Jesus' perspective. We can see the faces of the soldiers surrounding him. We can feel the hands and the feet being pierced by the nails. We can hear the insults of the people being thrown our way. You can feel the bones sticking out of your body and the blood dripping down. In the Gospels, we get to see Jesus' death. In Psalm 22, we get to feel Jesus' death. We get to enter into his head and his heart and feel the emotions and the pain of God as he dies for us. So this morning, Psalm 22 forces us to take off our intellectual shoes because we're standing on holy ground here. We need to look at the psalm not with our heads, but with our hearts. Not for the facts, but for the feeling. As, as Jesus hangs on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, dying, Matthew lets us know that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the intellectual way of reading it. There's the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if we take off our intellectual shoes and put ourselves up on that cross with Jesus, we hear it from Psalm 22, where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day and you do not answer. By night, I'm not silent. And can't you just, just feel the perplexity in Jesus' voice now with this perspective? Jesus' cry here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? doesn't come out of bitterness. It doesn't come out of anger. Jesus cries out perplexed here. Why? Why, God? Because this isn't the way that God deals with the people that he loves. These aren't the actions of the heavenly father that he knows so intimately. Right? As Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? He remembers all of God's faithfulness. Right? Like, like all good Jewish young boys, Jesus learned his history lessons well. 
He knew about God's faithfulness to his people Israel through all the facts that, that King David proclaims here in verses 3 through 5, right, of, of, of Psalm 22. He knows about all the times when it looked hopeless for God's people. And they cried out to him, and God came through for them. He, he remembers the stories of Egypt, the stories of the Red Sea being parted when all hope had been lost. He knows the stories about, about wandering in the desert and God giving them water from a rock when they're thirsty. He knows the stories about the battle of Jericho, an impenetrable city that's impossible to conquer, and God makes a way. He knows about all those other times when God's love and power protected the people who loved him and trusted in him. He remembers how God's people called out to him from their pain and their despair, and God answers. And yet now here he is on the cross, and it's his turn, and he's crying out to God, and he does not feel that faithfulness. He feels abandonment instead. Why? Why is it that what God did again and again for his people, he's not doing now for his own son? That's what Jesus is crying. Can you feel it? My God, my God. Father God, you have always delivered your people when they trusted in you. Always. Do it again. Do it now. You did it for them. Now do it for me, your own son. That's his heart. And God doesn't intervene. Jesus thinks about God's faithfulness. And Jesus thinks about God's great love for his people. Right? His delight expressed in verse 8 of Psalm 22, right? It, it, it's a delight that God takes in the people that he loves. A love that knows no bounds. A love that sees each and every one of his people as valuable beyond cost. A love that leads him to delight in us. And Jesus can't help now, in the light of that memory, to hear the mockery of the crowd. Right? The taunts of the enemies surrounding him point out the fact that Jesus is being denied the love and the delight that God has in his people. As Jesus is hanging on this cross, he's being told that he's not worthy. He's not worthy of God's notice. His value is like a worm, verse 6 tells us. Right? A worm. We aren't concerned about worms. If they die, they die. Big deal. We don't hurt with them. We don't think about it. Here he is, hanging, dying, and God the Father is not coming down to rescue him. And the people surrounding him despise him, they scorn him, they mock him. And the mocking is a powerful sting to it, right? Their words are, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him then. Let the Lord deliver him, since the Lord delights in him. Right? That's the history they knew. God delights in his people, and because he delights in them, he comes and rescues them. And so hanging there, Jesus feels the sting of that cry. They're saying, God doesn't love you. He's proving it. God doesn't delight in you because he's not delivering you. You are a worm in God's eyes, not worth his notice. 
Can you feel that with Jesus? See, he hangs there on that cross. God's faithful, but not to you. God loves and delights in his people, but not you. And finally, Jesus looks back at, at his experiences of his own life. And he sees how God has been a tender father to him all of his life. Right? In times of trouble, God has always shown his tender care to his son. And what about now? What about this time? Right? The father's tender care has always been there before. And, and now Jesus calls out in verse 11, Father, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And there's no one to help me. It's a desperate cry for help. Look at the trouble felt in verses 12, 12 through 18, right? He talks about the bulls and the lions encircling him, coming in for the kill. And he says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And Jesus is saying, God, where are you now? Where are you now? You've always cared for me. You, you cared for me from my birth. You wouldn't abandon me now, would you? Would you? And he does. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus' cry goes unanswered. And he dies on that cross. Read Psalm 22, and he gets so much more than the facts. He gives us Jesus' feelings, his heart, his desperate cry to his Father. And you don't get just the feelings of the nails going through hands and feet. You get the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of rejection, the feelings of absolute loneliness. Jesus' greatest suffering didn't come in his physical death, which was torturous and horrible. His greatest suffering didn't come in the mocking of the people around him. His greatest suffering came in his God-forsakenness. My God, my God, why have even you forsaken me? All that you've proven yourself to be in the past, you're not doing now. That's the pain we feel. But we can't stop there. Because the psalm doesn't stop there. We've only read half of it. And Jesus' story doesn't stop there either, does it? We don't have the whole story. We don't have all the facts yet. Right? Because the fact is, even though it doesn't seem like it, God is faithful. And the fact is, God does delight in his son, Jesus, and does deliver him. And the fact is, God's tender care answers Jesus' cry for help and reaches down and raises him from the dead. The fact is, there's Easter after Good Friday. Right? And that's the message of the rest of Psalm 22. Uh, read on. Start at verse 22 with me. It's a very different tone all of a sudden. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Here's the fact of the resurrection in Psalm 22. He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The fact is Jesus is alive. He's paid for all your sins. You see, this isn't just us story. This isn't just his story. This is our story. Right? Those feelings from the beginning of the psalm, those feelings of abandonment, those feelings of rejection, they should have been ours. They should have been yours and mine. It should have been us hanging on that cross, despised and rejected. It should have, it should have been us deeply insulted and mocked. Because it was our sin that brought him there. It was our sin that held him there. It was our sin that he was paying for. So Psalm 22 gives us the feelings of the victory that is ours through him. Gives us the feelings of resurrection that must accompany the fact. Right? The fact that Jesus is alive, he tells us, must lead to feelings of praise. Verses 22 and 23. We rejoice in the life that he's given us. We rejoice that he has heard our cry again. Praise God that he's faithful always. Praise God that he loves and delights in us always. Praise God that his tender care will be with us always from birth until death. The facts of God's salvation work overflow into feelings of praise. And, and the psalmist shows how our praise keeps growing. It starts small and keeps going. We begin in verse 25, he says, by praising in the assembly. We praise right here with each other. We proclaim his treasure of salvation to each other. His treasure of sanctification. That's why, that's why it's so valuable when last week when Russ shared his story. His faith journey. When Angie comes and shares her faith journey to us. We praise God in the assembly here to each other. Then we move on from there and, and we share this treasure of salvation with the poor in verse 26. And we're not just talking about those without earthly treasure. We're talking about those who don't have the treasure. 
who don't have a reason to praise. Those who are still stuck feeling the abandonment and rejection and despair that comes from hanging on to sin. The sin that brings us to the cross instead of giving it to Jesus. And then finally, as we bring that praise to the ends of the earth, the circle of praise grows wider as this treasure is shared. And verse 30 ends the celebration of praise with these words. It says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn, for he has done it. He has done it. Sound at all familiar? How about it is finished? He has done it. The final words of Jesus on the cross, it's finished. I've done it. He paid the price for your sins and my sins once and for all, has given us that treasure of eternal life with him. So you know, I hope you know the facts of Calvary. hope you know the facts of Easter. Now dare to put the feelings with the facts. Yes, feel the horror of the cross that Jesus experienced, knowing it should have been yours. And then feel the joy of resurrection that is yours. Dare to feel when you come to this table this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have done it. It is finished. Your salvation work has been done perfectly. And so we thank you for the facts. We thank you for the knowledge we can have, for the truth that we can hold on to about what you have done and who you are and who we are now in you. Help us to be people who learn those facts, who, who learn that knowledge, who ingrain it deep into our minds. But take us beyond that. Make us people who feel along with you, who feel, God, your faithfulness to us, who feel your delight in us, who feel your tender care for us, who know your great salvation work, not just in our heads, but deep in our hearts. And as we come to this table, we come acknowledging the facts, but open up our hearts to feel the love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the elders who are going to help me serve this morning to come on forward if you would at this time.